Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi guys, it's Hillary here. Just a quick note, this series does deal with a lot of tough subject matter that may be difficult for some listeners. So please keep this in mind when and where you choose to listen to these episodes. It's October 19th, 2005, just a few days after the death of Dennis and Norma Woodruff in Royce City, Texas. Investigator Gibson receives a call on a cell phone from a caller who wants to know if they have any suspects in the case. She identifies herself as Norma Etherington, a friend of the family. She tells Gibson that her son, Mike Etherington, and Brandon were in 4-H together and best friends in high school. But sometime in Brandon's senior year, he started to change. He became different. She tells Gibson that there were rumors that Brandon was leading an alternative lifestyle and that he hated his parents. Last episode, we took you through the crime scene and the bizarre choice law enforcement made by filming the crime scene in the dark. On this episode, we will delve into the early stages of law enforcement's investigation, the importance of Norma Etherington's phone call, and the first official interviews with Brandon and his sister, Charla. I'm Hillary Burton Morgan, and this is True Crime Story, It Couldn't Happen Here. Welcome back to another episode of It Couldn't Happen Here. I'm Hillary Burton Morgan, joined by Dan Flaherty, Poe Cutchins, and Andrew Dunn. Now, law enforcement has just spoken with a woman who identifies herself as Norma Etherington. Who is Norma Etherington? Norma Etherington was a local mom, and she seemed to travel in the same circles as Dennis and Norma. And by all accounts, she was pretty close to Charla. And Charla considered Norma Etherington almost like another mom, you know, like uh, Mama Etherington, you know? She called her Mama E, right? Mama E, right? So these families knew each other. This is a close family friend. I mean, it feels like a bold move to call investigators and accuse Brandon of hating his parents and whispering about an alternative lifestyle. 
especially before anyone even knows it's a homicide. No public plea for information has been made. She is calling in and volunteering some very damning, damning suggestions, suggesting some very damning information, but that's also not like, I saw him with a gun or he confessed to my son or, you know, he's been acting violently lately. It's a, he's leading an alternative lifestyle and he doesn't like his parents. You need to talk to him. Dan, as a reminder, what does the family know? After the bodies of Dennis and Norma were discovered, Gibson and Ranger Collins met with the family of the victims. And according to the Gibson report, investigators told the family that they were headed out to the Dallas County Medical Examiners to review the autopsies of Dennis and Norma. And they told the family that at this time, there's very little information that could be released and the crime scene had not yet been completely processed. And during that short meeting, Charla asked investigators if this was being investigated as a suicide or a homicide. And again, investigators advised Charla that due to the nature of the injuries, that the autopsy would provide further information. So this is a lot of specific information here. And just for the listener, how do we know all this stuff? A couple of the primary documents that we used when researching this case was the very lengthy report written by Ranger Collins of his investigation, who was the lead investigator on the case. We also have Investigator Gibson's report. And Gibson was an investigator for the Hunt County Sheriff's Office. He was involved from the initial crime scene, responded to the initial call, and worked alongside Ranger Collins in the investigation. Both of these reports were super helpful for us to track what happened in this case and all the details of who they spoke to, what evidence they found. Basically, gives us a blueprint of how the investigation unfolded. It's from these reports that we learned that Norma Etherington said, Brandon is not who he seems. Who does she then direct law enforcement to follow up with? Her son, Mike. Her son is friends and 4-H member and high school mate of Brandon. And And fellow shit kicker. And fellow shit kicker. (laughs) And, you know, travels in the same high school group. Okay. And does law enforcement call him or does he come in of his own free will? How does that play out? Two days later, Mike Etherington called Hunt County investigators, and Mike says that he and Brandon were friends in high school. And he says that Brandon had a MySpace page, and he says in a survey on MySpace that he hated his parents and he wished they would fucking die. So now this is a second person directing law enforcement to look at Brandon as a person of interest, and they're offering up this evidence they say is on his MySpace page. So Mike Etherington's phone call to the law enforcement establishes and creates several things. A name, a person to look at. It establishes a motive, hate, and it establishes intent. While this is all happening, Michelle Lee, the mother of Brandon's girlfriend, Morgan Lee, also comes in to speak with law enforcement. And Dan, she's not necessarily accusing Brandon. She's just saying that she has some information, right? She's not sure if this has any relevance to the case or not. But she tells investigators that she has in her house a antique Colt 45 revolver that has gone missing. And Brandon was at her house the day before the murders, and she's just discovered a missing gun. She thought she should come forward and at least give the police this information. As we discussed in our previous episode, the weapon that law enforcement thinks was used to shoot Dennis and Norma was a 44 or 45 caliber gun. Let's hear a little bit from Michelle Lee. 
to you. Can you tell us what is the relationship between your family and Brandon? Brandon dates my daughter, Morgan. Okay. Um, and and this is Brandon Woodruff. Yep. Who is our victim's... Son. Son. Yes. Okay. So you made that connection on your own, thinking this seems strange that all of a sudden our gun is missing, and now our our daughter's boyfriend, who's always over here, you know, his parents have been murdered. I don't know for sure. I just, I just was scared that there was a gun missing, and we just, okay, you know, yeah, I just, I just thought, gosh, you know, guns kill people if they're used wrong, and you know. I just kind of well, but one of the one of the first things that you said when you came in to us, yeah, you laid that holster down, and you said, "I want y'all to know, I love Brandon." Yeah. I mean, we hadn't even asked you a question. I know you didn't, but I mean, you come in and lay that down, and the very first thing out of your mouth is, "I want y'all to know something. I love Brandon." Right, and I said that because I didn't know what made Brandon's parents die, okay. you know, mm -hmm. um, but I just, I don't know why I said that, but I meant it when I said it. Which means the people are talking about Brandon being a suspect in town, because we've got one parent calling in to the police and saying, look at Brandon. And then you've got another one saying, my friends are murdered and Brandon was here and my gun's missing. So people are talking. I mean, I'm going to make a wild leap here and say they're all talking about the murder and talking about Brandon as a suspect. That seems to be what they're doing. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. 
on demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I think it's important to remember this is a small town, so news can travel very fast. So what else happened on the day that Michelle Lee came in with information about the missing gun? Also on that day, they speak to the next door neighbor. And he gives some information that he saw Brandon coming to the Heath house the night of the murders. So just a reminder to listeners, Dennis and Norma Woodruff were between houses. They had their old house in Heath, which they were still moving out of, as well as their new house in Royce City. And those houses were just like 20 miles apart from each other. So at this point, investigators putting all this information together decide that they need to look at Brandon a little harder. Yeah, I mean, if you're law enforcement and you're still piecing everything together and then you get a tip with a name and it just so happens to be the last person who was at the house with Dennis and Norma. So with the focus on Brandon, police decide to execute multiple search warrants. What do they search? Brandon's dorm, in his car, and at the Heath house. So that signals pretty early on. I mean, it's literally the day of the funeral that Brandon is the focus of the investigation. There's like not another narrative that you could come up with to explain why they'd be looking in those specific places. During these searches, do we know what they're looking for? Well, I'm sure on one point they're looking, yes, we know, I mean, they're looking for murder weapons. They don't find a knife or a gun. This is important to restate. They don't find a knife or a gun during their search warrants. I find it really strange that they haven't sat down and gotten statements from the family right away. It almost seems like they're collecting information from everyone else so that if there are any discrepancies in Brandon's story from what they've collected from everyone else, it furthers the narrative that he must be the person that did it. But usually what they'll do is they'll take a statement from the family around them. Okay, well, let's talk about what's typical. Right? So let's discuss that. So someone is murdered. Who is the first person that law enforcement should talk to? They usually talk to the last person who saw them alive and the family and the people around them closest to them that can tell you who they were, what they were doing, when they saw them. And that's what they'll do first to get an idea of who the victim was and who might have wanted to do them harm and what their last time was like, what those last minutes, hours that day was like. And then you go and gather other information, interview other people, and then you come back. I mean, if you do that and then you gather information and then you bring one of those people back in and you want to interrogate them further, you're going to catch them in a lie. You don't wait to do it so that you have already all your questions lined up. If there's no witnesses to the crime, obviously the witness would be the first person you talk to. But That's usually what you have. I think an important thing to note is that law enforcement did have early conversations with the family after Dennis and Norma were found, but it was not being investigated as a homicide just yet. 
So they didn't ask in the first meeting everyone's whereabouts or timelines. And what's interesting is that law enforcement getting these surprise phone calls really changes the course of the investigation. So just a few days after Dennis and Norma's bodies are found, where is Brandon? I think Brandon's with his family. Everybody's kind of like circled up at grandma's house, right? Yeah, they're either at grandma's house or one of the aunt's house. I'm not sure at this point where everyone is, but the family's all together. Now, the family has said from the beginning that they're willing to cooperate. From day one, when the very first family meeting, they said that they would all be willing to come back and sit down with investigators and tell them everything that they know. Law enforcement has informal conversations with the family shortly after the bodies are discovered, but then they don't sit down and do formal interviews with Brandon, Charla, Bonnie, the aunts that are involved until days later. So from the time that the bodies are discovered and they have those initial conversations to when the family members sit down for the formal interviews, law enforcement has had multiple tips that point the finger at Brandon. So do they indicate to the family that Brandon is a suspect when they finally sit down and do the formal interviews? Not that I'm aware of, but we could assume that Brandon maybe knew he was being treated as a suspect since they searched his dorm room. And one other thing I wanted to note is that when the family volunteered to come in to speak, I mean, they knew the police wanted to speak with them and they agreed, yes, we will cooperate in any way we can. So when they came in for the formal interviews with law enforcement, the family enlisted the help of a couple of lawyers to sit in with Brandon and Charla because they were young. And that's the right thing to do. That's what we tell people to do is always have a lawyer. Exactly. And the family had asked right away saying, do the kids need lawyers? From day one, they asked that. And so they did. But these weren't assigned lawyers for the family. They're just legal advisors. Why don't we have somebody come in and sit with them, right? And it is the smart thing to do. I've been on sets that are supposed to be interrogation rooms, the real interrogation rooms. They're scary. And if you've just lost your parents and your whole world has been flipped upside down, your community's been flipped upside down, to be thrust into that is incredibly intimidating. What is the space that Brandon and Charla and the other family members are brought into? It's a fairly typical room at the sheriff's station. It's a small room, about eight foot by eight foot, probably has no windows in it. The door probably locks behind you so you can't get out. In this particular case, there's a single camera mounted in the corner above the interview table and chair. And normally that camera is pointed towards the direction of the person being interrogated. It's never never pointed at law enforcement. So what you see is a person who looks kind of guilty automatically sitting at the corner of a table. Why are they being spoken to? And then you see a law enforcement person moving in and out of the frame. In this case, it's very distinct because we have a a big old cowboy hat from a Texas Ranger moving in and out. The back of the person doing the interrogation or the interview. It's a nicer word. You can't see their face. They often disappear from the frame and return from the frame. So having sat in those rooms quite a bit, shooting a lot of real live crime, it's a very uncomfortable place to be. There's not a single person that I know that would be comfortable in that room. You would feel guilty just sitting in there. I feel guilty thinking about it. So you guys, one of the most important parts of 
extending our storytelling in podcast form is so we can just let the tape roll for listeners out there. And so letting the tape roll on some of these police interviews is important. And right now we are going to hear from Brandon Woodruff's sister, Charla. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I had a lot of problems growing up with them. A lot. Um, and my freshman year of college, all of a sudden it was like, we're so proud of you. I was like, proud of me? Now you're proud of me? What are you talking about? You know, proud of me now, now that I'm in college? Because I was an amazing person when I was in high school, and now I'm in college. Mm -hmm. I'm still the same person, you know, but now you're proud of me. Now you're driving up to, I mean, seriously, I'm three hours away. And then all of a sudden they went to every single, they went to every single game because I would dance and I was in, you know. Uh, when you talk about dance, you're talking about like where you do the drill team stuff. Mm -hmm. And you were that in high school, but they didn't show up in high well, school went, that much? Or? They went some, but not a lot. I mean, you understand, I was in a lot of things. I'm talking to my brother. Like, we're very, um, very active. Very active. You do, yeah, and a lot of times I'm blame I stretch myself way too thin and just I did it kind of more or less on purpose, but um, why? Because I just I don't I just I had a hard time. Like I didn't really get along at home. I really didn't. Okay, can you can you elaborate on that though? Why did you not get along at home? I really didn't. Um, we didn't see a lot eye to eye. We really didn't. Um, Can you give me examples? <laughs> and these are some of the issues that may be kind of, you know, are hard to answer, but it may be, That's you know, important. Long. Um, now that you're older. It was so long ago, and it's so. But now that you're older, do you think that may who was, who was the hard head? It was both. Both of you. Well, um, you know, as you get older, you kind of. As you get older, you're probably going to find that, it, that it's more, because that's the way it was with that's me. That's the way it was. I know. All right. Did you not see eye to eye because your parents were controlling? You know, they didn't want you to yeah. date this particular person no. or hang out with this particular crowd or something? Um, or? Is this going to stay here and not go very far? Is that what, what do you mean? Like, this room with not leaving this room. Well, it we, depends, we can't repeat it. We, we're we're oh, attorneys. Right. We cannot tell it. All right. Um, and and before you go on, though, you need to know we're not attorneys, and it can be repeated. But we're not going to go. Know. We're not going to go broadcast what you're telling us here. Um, this is yeah. more to we. And you have to know. We have to know as much about you know your your parents and about your the family relationships and all the things that go on. My. So. Dad, whenever I was younger, had a very bad temper. Mm -hmm. Okay. Huge temper. And it was bad enough, I guess, I, I don't know, but he was thinking so hard to where I had a belt line and then where the threads went. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, times where I had bruises where his hands were, like okay. in the shape of his hands. Okay. Um, and that's when we were younger, younger. I mean, look, that is awful. It is. You know, she is talking about child abuse and she's expressing a lot of trauma. And I can only imagine how difficult that must have been for her to say 
all of that stuff about her dad in front of law enforcement and legal counsel, who are all men, you know? I mean, she's so young during this time, too. And so while that is really hard to hear, it's important because it outlines that Charla had a difficult and complicated relationship with her parents, very similar to what they heard in terms of Brandon having issues with his parents. But law enforcement has gotten a phone call from Brandon's former best friend, Mike Etherington, saying Brandon hated his parents. He said so on MySpace. And that has raised the attention of law enforcement. So law enforcement is looking at Brandon because they've been told by a different party that he doesn't like his parents. But here they are hearing firsthand from Brandon's sister, Charla, that she had a problem with her parents, that her father spanked her so hard that he left marks on her as a child, that he had a huge temper, she says. But that both parents were hard-headed and she had issues with both of them equally. Regardless of dad's temper, she says from that perspective, she had the same amount of difficulty with each parent. This is what, how many days after their death? Dan? This is the day after the funeral, right? Less than a week after they died. That's intense. It's it's a lot for a kid to handle. And grief makes people talk about weird things and makes people say things out loud that, you know, we've seen so many people railroaded for that very thing. So we're not going to do that here on this show. What we are listening to is Charla's own admission that her father was violent with her. Well, it definitely opens up a whole interesting perspective because the police get a tip that Brandon has made these angry statements about his parents and that they should look into him. But when they're interviewing his sister, she's telling them about her anger. Yeah, they're hearing it right from the source as opposed to a second party. Andrew, what do you think about the line of questioning from this investigator? I mean, from the small snippet that we have here, it's it's very leading. Right? It is very suggestive. As usual, actually, the attorneys say the right thing to her, which is nothing leaves this room, but the investigator says things might leave this room. Mm-hmm. He says the correct things. It's the legal way to express it. But as usual, it's downplayed. And we have to remember, what, she's 20? Yeah. She's never sat in this room. Anything that anybody says that's suggestive is incredibly influential, I would say, at somebody that age. And she... You're saying anything that the person being interviewed or interrogated says? I think the interrogator can lead, and and that's their job. They're entitled to lead. That's, I mean, they're supposed to be digging around and uncovering. I mean, they're excavators. They're archaeologists. Let's hear a little bit more from Charla's interview and how she describes her relationship with Brandon. No, it was bad. And me and my brother had it out, too. And me and my brother were so bad. We haven't been getting along till the past year. You're, you and your brother? Okay, so did y'all grow up close? And it's just the last year? No, it's, so you've never really been close? Okay. I'm close in age to my sister, and we fought like clap cats and dogs. My grandparents would only take us if we could be separate. Okay. They'd only take you one at a time because you were so... You fought back and forth so much. Okay, fair enough. But physical fighting or just the, the, uh, was it? Okay. 
Well, my sister and I, it was always just, you know, remarks back and forth um, to hurt, hurt each other's feelings. Bad. Like, I would lock myself in the bathroom. Ranger Collins is cultivating a sense of sympathy for her plight as the oldest by revealing his own story as himself. He's becoming friends with her. That's right. That's what they do is they give you this sense of security and they should because they want you to relax and not be guarded. And then they can extract more information which might lead them to the answers to the mystery. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker. Retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. So Charla not only had issues with her parents, but she also had a difficult relationship with Brandon. What 
do we know about law enforcement's first sit down with Brandon? Brandon walks into that room. I mean, they should be looking at him. A bunch of people have called in. Yeah. He was the last person to see them alive. He is the only suspect that's being suggested. They should be looking at him. And, you know, he comes in very angry and very upset. And ruining my whole dorm like that. Okay, but and that's what I'm saying. I, I was not at your dorm, okay? okay. I, I don't know. I don't know what the and conditions of your And apparently my grandmother has told me that the, whoever's first in the house at the other house, that my dad's Dolly Parton room, that was a very, very special room. And that room is also messed up. Okay. And I think that whoever is responsible for that needs to fix that. Okay. Because that's, that's, that's wrong. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, we just... I mean, I'm hearing understand. what y'all are hearing, and I'm also hearing things that when y'all said y'all were going to call us back, we waited all damn day, and nobody got a phone call. What do you mean, call you back all We were supposed to get a phone call the other day when we all came here. We drove here the next day to find out what happened, and we never got a phone call. What I'm saying is right now, my whole family and me are in a traumatic stage right now, and for y'all to say things and don't do it pisses me off. A lot. Okay. Well, I just let you know where I'm coming from. No, and I understand that, Brandon. That you, but you do need to understand from from our standpoint too that we've got. Uh, we probably had six or eight, ten investigators working about twenty hours okay. a day. All right. You know, I mean, this isn't something right. that we're just taking lightly. I think he's stepping into the role of I have to be in charge of my family now. My parents are gone. And I have to step up and be the protector of my family. And when they met with the police, when they first got some information, the police told them that we can't give you much information. We haven't been to the autopsy yet. We can't tell you exactly what happened. We can just let you know that your parents are dead. And when we get more information, we will let you know. And that's what he's talking about. Like that we waited. Yeah, but I would say if I was law enforcement hearing that, I might say, why is he being so strong? Why isn't he bawling? you know, on the floor, and why is he even concerned about these details? To me, it's a respect thing. He's saying, you can't do this to my family. They feel like they've been left in the dark, and he seems to be rising to the defense of his family and kind of stepping into the shoes of his parents. But he is so young and so thin, and he just seems so young to me. But he sits down, he's upset. So in Brandon's interview, let's look at that compared to Charla's interview. This is the day after his parents' funeral, and Brandon has a very different answer about what his parents were like. I don't want you to take offense to what they got to be asked, okay? So um, can you tell me what kind of relationship that, I mean, or what kind of parents were your parents? Like to me and my sister, Mm -hmm. um, the best. Were they? Like, honestly, like, like, I can honestly say, like, in my 19 years of, like, being with my parents, that, like, they were always there with us, like, always. Okay. And, like, if I was at a horse show or I needed them at 3 a.m. to wake up because I didn't feel comfortable pulling the trailer, they were, you know, they were right there. Like, if I, I got into a bind, you know, money-wise, anything like that, they're... They're there. Like, and and anybody that knows my parents in my town or knows me mm-hmm. knows that, like, me, my parents, and my sister are, like... You know what I'm saying? Like, they wouldn't have to second-guess my parents' decisions on anything. So, okay. that's, I mean, that's... Like, I, I don't know if words could explain, like, what my parents were. Because, like, they're not something you see. I mean, they're married over 27 years. I mean, I have... Not, not one of my friends has parents like that. Okay. But Brandon doesn't have any of the same grief reactions that Charla's having. Whereas we talked about how Charla's grief comes off as resentment, 
And my parents didn't do this for me in childhood. And then they tried to turn it around once I went to college. Brandon is just glowing in his review of his parents. And, you know, you can interpret that however you want. Yeah, he even says they were always there for us. They were there for me and my sister for our whole lives. It's not just about his relationship. He extends it to his parents' relationship with his sister too. But to be fair, I mean, I'm an only child and you guys aren't, but from everyone I've ever talked to and everything I've ever read, each child has their own experience in the family. And one child may think that everything was great for both of them. And the other child often will say, that was your experience? I was in pain. I felt neglected or I thought it was great. I thought they were wonderful. What do you mean they were mean? You know, so... Well, if Brandon was the star of the family, of course he had a better experience. But I'm saying he may not have noticed her suffering and her feeling of neglect and lack of support. And what's interesting to me is that, you know, we all start to become detectives here. It's very tempting. We start to get sucked into the narrative. Yeah. Which is exciting, alluring. And we listen to these interviews and we hear how Charla felt about her parents, how they feel about a lot of different things that are possible ideas and pointers towards people who could have committed the crime. But in fact, they're nothing more than feelings. And that's not how you convict someone of murder. It's not how you conduct an investigation. She is admitting to a lot of anger. I think it's really important for us not to criticize her for being angry. I mean, when she was in the interview, she said, they didn't pay attention to me. They were never proud of me. Clearly, there's sibling rivalry. And clearly, she feels like her parents were not valuing her and celebrating her. So one tries to get attention when one's not getting their due attention that they feel. So even though we hear from Charla how difficult of a relationship she had with her parents, law enforcement is still zeroing in on Brandon because of all the people who have come forward. As a reminder, we have Norma Etherington calling in the first place, saying that Brandon is not who he seems. Then we have her son, Mike Etherington, who claims that Brandon wrote, I hate my parents, on MySpace. We have Michelle Lee coming forward with a missing gun and the neighbor from the Heath house who saw Brandon on the night police allege his parents were murdered. Law enforcement begins working on a timeline largely based on when Charla said she tried to call her parents around 11 p.m. So I started calling. The first time I called my mom was at 11 o'clock that night. And you're sure it was 11? Very sure. It was 11.03 if you want to be exact. Okay, that's not like exact. What not? Um, that's on Sunday night, Sunday. right? And she didn't answer. But I just called that one time that night. And I figured, well, maybe they're asleep. Or maybe not asleep, but they're out doing something, blah, blah, blah. But she's the one who's giving that timeline. She's saying, I called and they didn't answer from that place. But were they dead yet? I mean, the only reason that they've narrowed down that they're dead at that point is because she's calling them and they're not answering. Do we know anything about Charla's whereabouts from 11 p.m. when she made that phone call to the morning when she went to class? I don't see any record of that. I think it felt she was at her dorm room by 11 making that phone call. and. I don't know. I guess they assumed she was asleep. Got up for class the next morning, right? I don't know. But we don't have any record of that. I don't see anything. We are working off of Charla saying no one answered the phone at 11 o'clock and law enforcement assumes that it is because they're dead. I mean, that's an assumption. It's a big assumption. Maybe they didn't answer the phone. Maybe they were asleep 
at 11 o'clock. We know she called and they didn't answer. They didn't answer. Another theory of what could have happened is they could have just not answered the phone at 11 o'clock. And someone could have driven three hours and gotten them out of bed at two o'clock in the morning and made them sit on the couch. We don't know. There's no timestamp on the death. All we know is that they died sometime after 9.15, 9.20-ish on Sunday night. In a lot of cases, it turns out the timelines that are assumed on one hand because of certain things turn out to be totally wrong and completely could change the course of the investigation in the case. I've just learned from all these years of doing true crime that timelines can really screw up everything if an assumption is made. That's what dictates the investigation. And that's exactly what happened here. The timeline of what happened the night that Dennis and Norma were killed becomes one of the major strikes against Brandon. Now, what exactly is the timeline of events that night? We are going to dive into all of that and more in our next episode. That's it for this week's episode of True Crime Story. It couldn't happen here, but be sure to join us next week as we dive deeper into the Brandon Woodruff case. I'll tell you right now, I've got an eyewitness that that saw you and Heath at 11 p.m. on Sunday night. That, Between 10 and 11 p.m. at the at the Heath residence, and, and you're putting yourself at Alex's home, leaving between 11 and 11.15, and, and it's, let me tell you, it's impossible. You can't be. Join us next week as we continue to roll up our sleeves and dig in. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't watched Sundance TV's True Crime Story, It Couldn't Happen Here, you can catch all of our episodes streaming on AMC+. For more information about this and other cases we've covered, follow at ICHHstories on Instagram. True Crime Story It Couldn't Happen Here was produced by Mischief Farm in association with Bungalow Media and Entertainment, Authentic Management Productions, and Figdonia in partnership with Sundance TV. Executive producers are me, Hillary Burton Morgan, Liz DeCessory, Robert Friedman, Mike Powers, and Meg Mortimer. Producers are Maggie Robinson-Katz and Libby Siegel. Our audio engineer is Brendan Dalton with original music by Philip Ridiotis. We want to say a special thank you to everyone who participated, but especially the families impacted by our cases. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. 
Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.